Today on CityCast DC, over the past three months, more than 5,000 migrants and asylum seekers have been bused to DC from Texas and Arizona. The governors there are pushing this as a way of protesting the Biden administration's border policy. But when the migrants get here, it's not the federal government that's receiving them. That's falling to DC to handle. So I sat down with DCist reporter Amanda Gomez to find out what happens after the bus arrives. It's Tuesday, July 26, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Governors of Texas and Arizona helpfully put a bunch of people on buses and sent them to D.C. This is apparently an effort to sort of give the middle finger to Joe Biden, but the city they have wound up in the middle of is our own. Amanda, tell me, uh, why is this something that is important for D.C. residents to care about? So I think you can kind of look at why it matters in two ways. One is D.C. has positioned itself, and I say D.C., I mean like Local government leaders and even residents have worked hard to make D.C. a place that is welcoming of everyone, of immigrants, of undocumented people. And so from that vantage point of like welcoming everyone, it's important because people are in a pretty precarious situation. That's one way to think about it. The second is what I'm hearing from volunteers who are supporting and greeting people every nearly every day at Union Station is that 10 to 15 percent of migrants who do come to D.C. Um, are staying. So they're becoming our neighbors and they're staying because either they've found the city to be very welcoming or where they thought they were going, say, you know, they have a relative in New York City, that opportunity for whatever reason didn't come through. So there's, you said there's like 5,000 people so far who have come on buses. Who are they? What is the sense of who this group is? So the people who are coming into D.C., who are being bused into D.C., are from Central and South America. They are from Sub-Saharan Africa. And we're talking about 5,400 folks who've come from Texas alone and Arizona sending people to. They're also, according to Sanctuary DMV, they all have papers. Most of them are asylum seekers. Folks are fleeing violence, dangerous situations in their home countries. They're also in search of economic opportunities. I remember one night, one bus, um, it was 30 people. There were five kids and there was a pregnant woman. I'm not saying that that's standard, but... It can kind of give you a sample flavor of what it was like. Okay, so these people on the bus, 5,000 folks, you say they're coming into Union Station. What happens when they get here, the minute they get here? So as soon as they get here, nowadays, they're greeted by volunteers and then this international nonprofit that actually got a FEMA grant to do this work. It's called SAMU. They basically do what they call intake, which is greet them and then decide what do you need like right now? Like folks are coming, some of them are coming in bad shape, right? Like they just had a journey and, you know, some of them are assaulted on their journey. Some of them are robbed on their journey. So they're like trying to offer care in a way that's compassionate. And so they're asking like what they, what their immediate needs are. Sometimes it's medical, right? And then they facilitate that. Sometimes they're hungry. So the volunteers have like relationships with churches all across the city and 
will take some of the migrants to churches where people could eat and rest. And then they'll like decide how many people, you know, have money and have a means to get to another location. Some of them don't because they were robbed and so then need bus tickets, etc. Sometimes, like I said, people stay, so they have to facilitate housing. And then the nonprofit does their own kind of similar setup. They're teaming up with like World Central Kitchen, who's helping and providing food. That's Jose Andres's place. Yes, that's exactly right. But wait, you said that only like fifteen percent of these folks are staying in DC, and the others are presumably getting on another bus or something to someplace else. Yes, sometimes New York, right? New York City is having this conversation, and people are being bused. And like that's the thing um, about whether or not folks are being tricked into coming onto these buses. That's what Muriel Bowser has said. We know that they're getting on buses. I think sometimes under false pretenses, traveling across the country uh, to to go to other places. That's correct. And like some people go onto the bus with the impression that there's no way to say no, right? If Border Patrol or Texas government official, if someone is saying get on the bus, you just kind of get on the bus. Others hear about DC's opportunities and so they go because they where else are they going to go? Sometimes also it, they think it makes sense because they're trying to get to New York already. They have family there. It makes sense because they're trying to go to Portland, Maine. Folks don't understand necessarily how large or how complicated it can be to maneuver throughout our various states. And so it makes sense then and there, but then you land in DC, so it's perhaps more complicated to get to my next destination than I thought. Well, so just to stop on this point for just another sec, the governors of Texas and Arizona, Abbott and Ducey, what do they say about the allegation that people are being tricked onto these buses? So I asked the same when I reached out to Governor Abbott's office. And, you know, they said something to the effect that the only person who's lying is President Joe Biden and basically calling his open border policies reckless. And maybe he'll finally secure the border if they like get a taste of their own medicine, so to speak. So they gave you a bunch of like claptrap like jargon about national politics sure. and didn't really engage on the specifics of how this is working. Yeah, pretty much. Which kind of brings us back to Bowser in a way, because she has said, look, this isn't a D.C. issue. It's a federal issue. Some governors in Texas and Arizona are mad at the federal government and the federal government should have to deal with it. And D.C. taxpayers shouldn't, uh, which seems, you know, in an abstract way fair. But like when it's on the ground with real human beings in front of you who are your neighbors, it's a much trickier question, I imagine. That's right. And this is what I'm hearing also, even from like local council members, be it Montgomery County or D.C. Because again, it's not D.C. who's just bearing the front. We have porous borders. Folks are going into neighboring jurisdictions. Which which tend to be the places where we have the largest immigrant communities anyway. That's right. But what I'm hearing them say is the region may have not created the problem, right? But we have to respond is the message that I'm hearing. Volunteers recognize that the mayor isn't responsible for the crisis. We're dealing with a federal issue that the District of Columbia won't be able to bear. So it requires the federal response. But she has to do it because it's a D.C. problem in that people are coming and are sometimes stranded here. I mean, if we don't respond, people are just going to be stranded and with no resources, they'll enter the city's homeless shelter system. And they have been going because the status quo is unsustainable. People have been going to shelter. I talked to one homeless shelter in the region and they said, yes, we have been at capacity. And, you know, we were at capacity before migrants started showing up. When Bowser said that, is she trying to get the feds to become more involved or to share some resources or something? 
what I'm hearing is, or Bowser's team has told me, you know, they're helping to facilitate federal dollars. One thing that volunteers and nonprofits are asking for is, so Montgomery County has decided to take some leadership in this in terms of like, they've provided a government space to be a shelter, like an emergency shelter, but it's far, it's in Montgomery County, like people are coming into Union Station. And so, you know, what folks are asking for, if there could be one thing that the DC government can do, it would be to provide a space, either a day space where people can just strictly do intake because Samu's doing intake, the nonprofit's doing intake at Union Station. Like they're literally asking people, how are you doing? And trying to be as compassionate as possible in the midst of like Union Station where it can be pretty chaotic and not really private. So they're asking for at least a space to do that intake work and um, an emergency shelter where people can stay overnight, like something like what Montgomery County did. So you've been covering these changes as they're happening. What's the DC Council saying? So the D.C. Council met with our regional partners, uh, Montgomery County, Fairfax County, basically trying to like brainstorm how they could pool resources, but then also how they could get the federal government to do more. And so Montgomery County was basically like, D.C., step up. We need to secure a respite and closer to Union Station. You should also be thinking about long-term sustainable solutions because people are staying in D.C., so you guys got to figure out how you're going to you know, respond to that. And they also passed this non-binding resolution, basically, calling on the federal government to do more. And FEMA was actually on the call. Like, a representative from FEMA was listening and was basically like... We have this grant, this FEMA grant, all y'all could apply, government entities included. Right now, Samu, this nonprofit, is the only one that has. Basically, you guys should leverage this grant. Basically, what's happening is DC is having to, like, sustain a border operation, right? San Antonio does this. Like, other places do this. DC is just trying to figure out how to do that and how best to. And FEMA was like, what we're offering is this FEMA grant. So that's like the Texas governor's point. You, you all now need to feel what it's like to be on a border. Honestly, yes. And I think this is like a test almost. It's like, how will progressive democratic places, how will they respond to it? And that's like what volunteers are saying. We should do so compassionately. We should do so humanely. Folks are traumatized. And we don't only want to provide emergency care. We want to make sure that they are self-sufficient and set them up for success. But that's hard. Another thing that I will say folks have asked of at least the federal government, though, is that folks are being bused into D.C. All, all hours of the day. Like people come in in the evening at night and basically they're like, can you at the very least ask that Governor's Abbott and Juicy like send buses during the day? Like so we could do this work. Like I, you know, went to Union Station at nine o'clock at night because they just heard of a bus like 30 minutes before that was coming. And wanted to be there to greet people and didn't want people to sleep on the floor at Union Station and ended up like pooling money to buy hotel rooms. So, I mean, at the very least, they're asking for some better communication so that they know when people are coming. I mean, and, and these buses, just to be clear, these are like chartered, specifically chartered buses. They're not like we're putting you on a Greyhound. That's correct. They're charter buses that governor the governors have budgeted for. Like they've set aside money to send specifically migrants into D.C. Yes. So, Amanda, you mentioned uh, speaking with a lot of these families coming into the city. What did they tell you about why they came here? Sure. It really runs the gamut. I'm thinking of one couple 
they're in their like 30s. They are a queer couple. One of them is trans and they were not welcomed in their home country of Venezuela. They um, were fearful of harassment, of violence, just for the nature of them being in a queer relationship. And so they decided to travel and they traveled through various modes of transportation. They traveled the Darien Gap, which is a very dangerous jungle. And they made their way to Mexico. There they found a queer community and they all figured they'll just migrate up. They applied for asylum based on their on being harassed? That's right. And I mentioned the queer community that they met in Mexico because one of them ended up getting on the bus, the charter bus from Texas to D.C. ahead of them, told them about how hospitable D.C. was. And this was in the early days. I'm talking like early May, this person came because people started being bussed into the city in April. Um, So this person told them about their experience in D.C. being welcomed. And then they weren't tricked into going into any bus. They like saw this opportunity, came, and they ended up staying here longer and are going through, yeah, the asylum process. And what are they doing now? Like, where are they living? Throughout June, they were staying with volunteers. So volunteers through like Sanctuary DMV, Harriet's Dreams, like these are organizers through those groups. Those organizers were like welcoming people in their home. So for a couple weeks, this couple was staying at one of those volunteers, like 750 square foot apartment. And like I visited them multiple times. I mean, they made it work. And now they're like couch surfing. Like it sounds like they're just like making their way through their like volunteers houses. So But presumably, like, people don't want to be couch surfing forever. They don't want to be relying on other people forever. What are their, like, hopes for what they are going to be and do in the United States? And what's the plan for getting to those hopes? I mean, housing is expensive. I think they're slowly, like, realizing how hard it is to secure housing. And that's what the volunteers and nonprofit staff are saying, that D.C. needs to figure out transitional housing for migrants who stay or else folks are going to end up in our homeless shelter system. And D.C. has this plan of ending homelessness by 2025. So this is another reason why, like, now local officials are like, oh, not only is this terrible for kind of a humanitarian crisis that's brewing, but people are staying, they're becoming our neighbors. And like, how do we support them to get jobs, to get housing that's more long term? Got it. So you mentioned volunteers a lot. What about what if people want to volunteer? Sure. So there is a website, sanctuarydmv.org, and they explain on their website exactly what to do. And they, I should be very clear that it's not just Sanctuary DMV that's doing this work. It's, again, like these are folks who are very involved in social justice scenes here in the city. And it's over 20 orgs that are doing this and sustaining this work. And they're asking for volunteers, they're asking for donations. Yeah, but I would advise folks to at least, if they want to find one, stop shop at sanctuary.dmb.org. Amanda, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. It was fun. Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And before we leave, some quick news. I'm here with Priyanka, our team lead. Priyanka, what's happening? Well, track star Noah Lyles from Alexandria broke the 200-meter world championship record set by Michael Johnson 26 years ago. That means the record is older than Lyles himself. 
He ran it in 19.31 seconds, and I'm already out of breath thinking about how speedy that is. Meanwhile, the Rammies held their 40th annual local food awards ceremony over the weekend. Winners included Christian Irabian of Muchas Gracias, Little Minor Taco, A&J Restaurant, and Albi. So if you needed more restaurants on your list, well, there you go. And finally, you've probably seen that Homeward Trails Animal Rescue in Virginia is rescuing 4,000 beagles from a breeding facility. The first 500 have arrived, and those doggos need homes. So if you have room in your home and your heart for a new pet, head to the Homeward Trails website to get started on adopting. We'll have the link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm Michael Schaefer from Politico. Check out our show links for more reporting on this busing story. It's constantly evolving. And follow our Twitter account at CityCast underscore DC to follow along. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe to the show and tell your friends and family about it. We'll be back Thursday morning with a suggestion for how you might like to spend your weekend. So be sure to check that out. Bye for now.